Hey, Bethel Cleveland listeners. We just want to remind you that we've launched a brand new show called the Steve Witt Podcast. Each week, join Steve Witt as he goes further into the word and he offers his unique perspective on the things going on around the world. You don't want to miss this, so check it out. Search Bethel Cleveland on Apple or Spotify Podcasts. Enjoy. Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. Morning, everyone. This is a special week. As everyone knows, we go through this every few years. We have a day of voting, which some call a silent revolution. I want to talk a little bit about voting today and why it's so important for believers in Jesus Christ and the tensions that we experience during this voting season. We know it's true throughout America, but in our own hearts and our own families, families have been divided over these issues, communities have been divided, and nations have been divided. So I'm calling this citizen today because we are all dual citizens, citizens of heaven as we're followers of Jesus Christ and citizens of planet Earth, specifically United States of America. You know, I'm a proud patriot. I I, I don't know if we're allowed to say that anymore, but I, uh, I really am. I love the American flag. I love what it means to me. I keep on hanging outside the front of my house most times throughout the year because it's so beautiful. It expresses something that we're all in this together, that we're not to be separated. We have different views, different visions, but we're going to join together and do something great for our children, our grandchildren, and for history itself. So I'm going to take just a short time this morning to lead us into a place that I think could be a place of more peace. And so let's approach this together. First of all, a few things up front. We had a prophetic word several years ago, and our church values prophetic words from people that have a history of giving forward words from God, which is prescribed through Scripture in Corinthians and other places that we prophesy over one another, we encourage one another. And so Chris Vallotton from Bethel Redding in California gave me a corporate word over our church And he told me, he said, build bridges to the Catholic Church and raise up politicians. And when I first heard that, I thought, okay, okay. we're already actually building bridges in the Catholic Church. I have a long history of association in various ways and places with the Catholic Church, including right here in our own community in Brunswick, Ohio. But the raise up politicians, I thought, whoa. And I'll tell you why it was a conflict in my mind, not that I disagreed with it, But I was immediately thrust into this, like, former history myself. What does that look like? What does that mean to raise up politicians? But I kind of accepted the challenge in my heart and then thought, okay, we're going to work this out. You know, I grew up in a political home. My dad was a, a major mover in the Cleveland area for the union political world. He was the president of Northeast Ohio's, uh, uh, AFL-CIO, well over 100,000 people of various trades and backgrounds and steelworkers and tradesmen and women from all over the city. It was, a, it was a beautiful role for him to have. He'd worked hard out of the coal mines of West Virginia to get up to that role. It took him some 20 or 25 years or so. So my dad was a Democrat with a lot of Republican friends. In fact, when he got that role in the AFL-CIO, our governor of Ohio, Governor Rhodes, who actually served for 16 years, four terms in this state. Governor Rhodes would call our house often, particularly about two in the morning. It was rumored that he only slept about four hours a night. And some reason in the middle of the night, he'd think of my dad. 
He'd call him up to get some advice to see how the front was going in Cleveland, Ohio. And my dad was very successful, although a Democrat, carrying the front for the Republicans in Northeast Ohio. And uh, election day was like a holiday in our house. My dad was so deeply into politics. We had election buttons. Remember, we had all these little pins you put in. They were all over the place, LBJ in the USA, you know, Nixon, uh, all the various ones from back in the 60s and 70s. And I wish I had them all now. They're probably worth money. But uh, election day was like a holiday. And and I got to stay up late that night. I was, you know, when I was eight, nine, 10 years old, because it was a special day for my father. And it was one of our most communal days. He was not a follower of Jesus Christ. It was like it was his religion. It was really our most communal day of the of the year when election day would come and I would listen closely, I'd repeat the words, I would speak the language, I knew the language of a political person. It was a close link to my dad, therefore I enjoyed it greatly. It took me into many political events. He really opened a world for me. He would take me when I was very young. I was shaped heavily by him. I was shaped by my mother's prayers and my dad's actions. And when I was a very small child, probably eight or nine years old, I was uh, at a union hall up here in Parma, local 1005 Chevrolet. My father was the uh, president of that local, so I was pretty young at the time. And he let me run around, and they had some games you could play, pinball machines, things like that. We were really the only pe- pre- people in the building that I that I knew of. And this gruff kind of guy comes up to me and I was doing something. I was playing on the steps or something. I remember it pretty clearly in my mind. He said, hey, what are you doing? Who are you? You know, and, and I stood up confident as an eight-year-old could be. And I said, my father is Mel Witt. I knew it would change the room. I knew it would change the environment. And it did. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't know. Well, sure. Carry on, you know. And he went and told my dad. My dad laughed hysterically and repeated that story many times in our family history how I confidently I stood to, to tell everyone that he was my father. Later in my uh, preparation for ministry, I served prayers at many union banquets where thousands of people would gather, and it really kind of broke a lot of the fear I had of being in crowds, standing in front of 2,000 labor leaders and folks that were working all throughout the city, downtown Cleveland at the Ritz Hotel. Back then it was Stouffer's Inn on the Square, I think, or something like that. Now it's the Ritz-Carlton that uh, continued to change over over time. I'd go there and I'd stand with my little suit on, you know, 18, 19 years old, just learning about ministry. And I would, I would share as best I could the gospel of Jesus Christ in prayers that I prayed at union banquets where a lot of things were that were happening were not great things, you know. So, but it was my dad. He was inculcating me. It was his world, his life, you know, and and so I did a lot of that. And uh, my father often appeared in the front page of the Cleveland Press and the Plain Dealer, which were the two major newspapers at the time. There was always controversy around him. When I was in high school, even my teachers would ask me, is that your father? You know, and they uh, would either be on or off the side of what he was taking. And I don't know if that affected my grades. I'd like to think that it uh, didn't affect the bad ones. Uh then the summer of 1976 came. In 1976, uh, my father uh, was accidentally tricked by God into a situation where he encountered God, encountered Christ in a very strong way. Uh, he was a hard-headed guy. He was strong-willed. He's very charismatic. But in that moment, crashed to his feet, rolled on the floor, 
power of the Spirit of God was upon him. You know, he was a very finely dressed guy. He had monogrammed shirts that he would get out of Southeast Asia with his name on them. He had, he had just the right watch. He had just the right car. He'd have a, either a Continental or a, uh, a Cadillac in the driveway. That was, that was his life, you know. And it was, of course, it was my life too at that time. But now that he came into the kingdom of God, everything began to change. He encountered Christ and a shift happened in him that highly influenced me. I was a Christian at the time. I was raised in the church. My mother was a God-fearing woman, but my dad had a different path planned for me. And politics immediately became secondary to him when Jesus came onto the throne uh, of his life. Politics were important, but subservient. And the rest of his life, he was saved at about the age of 46. The rest of his life was a battle of his personal transformation. I'm not saying that he didn't live a glorious and fun life after that. He did. But he always was fighting with old Mel and new Mel. That was his name, Mel Witt. How to walk as a spiritual man in a fallen world. I have forever been shaped by his life and that transformation. I'm conflicted all the time between two worlds. Heaven and earth. I love how heaven touches earth. I love the whole Bethel Redding motto, you know. But heaven touches earth. As heaven touches earth, I, I, it just really gripped me. When I read Bill's book back in whenever it was, uh, 15, 20 years ago, when heaven touches earth, I, I was touched by it. I was, I was redeveloped, even though I'd been in ministry for probably at that time 30 years, I was getting a fuller understanding of the dynamic of what Augustine calls the city of God and the city of man as things come together. But it's still a conflict, and it's a conflict for all of us today. It's a conflict for us this Tuesday as we go to the voting booth. I know many of you have already voted. I have too. Because of early voting in Ohio, many of us have already voted. But may this be a message that penetrates not just voting day, but your view of politics in general, government in general, how it influences our life, and be careful not to divorce yourself from that and to not vote. Every believer should vote. And I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But my father's conflict became my conflict, and I'm conflicted between two worlds. How to get things done on earth, but how to get things done in heaven. Two political worlds here in America, Republican, Democrat. And they've been shaped very differently even since I've been born. You know, growing up, I, I favored uh, certain aspects of one party and uh, despised the other party. And over time, grew into liking aspects of the other party and despising things of the other party. It's a natural thing that we do here on earth when there's two opposing views. But Romans, the scripture, gives us some key insight. I mean, there's a lot of scripture, and I don't have a lot of time, but the key insight that's given to us is seen specifically in Romans chapter 13, verses one through seven. Romans 13, one through seven says this, let every soul be subject. Literally in the Greek, it's reflexively obey. So be subject, reflexively obey. In other words, you're trained to obey to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed or ordered by God. 
Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. This has been a key problem with Christians throughout the ages, and I'll talk about that in a few minutes. Those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. I don't want to do that. Do you? For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the authority, the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. These are our governing authorities. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscious sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Hopefully, you pay your taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. I was kind of stirred by this or Irish friend of mine and I got in a debate on this about a week ago while he was visiting. And he says, well, the Bible says, honor the king. And I said, that's true. But in America, in the setup we have, we are the king. We are the people. This is the challenge throughout all of history that we are the king. So I'm honoring the fact that I have authority. I have power and I need to exercise that in releasing my voice to speak to other people about it, but also to vote. The vote is really one of the greatest voices you have in America. And so when you vote, I believe you are prophetically declaring the voice of what you believe you've heard from God about the future destiny of this nation. I don't know how they'd put that underneath vote <laughs> because it means this. But anyway, that's what I think it means. I think when I'm there, I'm prophesying. When I push those buttons, I'm prophesying. I'm saying, this is who I hope to be the governor. This is who I hope to be the senator of this state. This is who I want to send as a congressman, a representative to represent me. And we'll see if I win or not. It's an exciting thing. It's the silent revolution. So we're here. We're trying to obey God's word. We're Christians. Well, over the years, since the time of Christ, of course, constitutional monarchies, Republics have been established where people have greater and greater and greater authority. That authority gets challenged all the time. But biblically, we need to assume, take a hold of the authority that God has given us in the realm of heaven and even on earth. What we do on earth actually affects heaven. What we bind on earth binds in heaven. What we loose on earth looses in heaven. How we act in this environment called America is very important. We cannot just go hide somewhere. We need to be a city that is set upon a hill. We are called as salt influencers. We are called as light influencers. We are called as the yeast within the dough influencers. We are called as ambassadors, influencers, representations. Do not take this lightly. There are people beating on the southern door of this country to get in. In fact, there's not even really a door to get in. They're just coming in. But they're coming in for many, many different reasons. And I'd like to think the reason they come to America, that they want to walk or get there or fly or however they got here, they'd want to sacrifice thousands of dollars and pay evil cartels to be able to get here for one reason. They think there's an opportunity in America they cannot get anywhere else. And yet here, we're here. We are citizens of America, imbibed with this supernatural, heavenly citizenship upon us. 
How then we do we act in those situations? I wondered about that many times. Just a few weeks ago, I talked about the, the challenge of Jesus calling Herod, who was the ruler, the king, so to speak, over uh, Israel at the time, under the Roman auspices. And uh, Jesus spoke about that King Herod when he was told by the Pharisees that Herod was seeking him. Jesus said, you tell that fox that I'm here today and I'll be here tomorrow. He says in a very direct, challenging way, he knows where I am. Tell him where I am. The term fox was not a pleasant term. It was an unclean animal in Jewish understanding. And uh, Herod was uh, kind of a Jewish person, but really not a Jewish representative in the strictest way. He was in it for himself and uh, responsible for the death later on of uh, John the Baptist. Uh, he persecuted the church, he and his son both. So they were not good people. And Jesus addressed that. And so can we speak about ruling authorities? Well, uh, as I talked to my friend uh, uh, from Ireland, uh, he said that, that I asked him about that. What about when you know Jesus said about Herod, and he said, well, Herod was a Jew. That was a different thing. It was more like a spiritual leader. Herod was not a spiritual leader. Herod was not a spiritual leader. Herod was a puppet put in there by the Roman Empire. And so Jesus addressed that. He spoke to the governing force that was there, and uh, he also honored government. He said, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's when they were asking about taxation. So we have that conflict there. What would Jesus do? WWJD. What would Paul do? In the right situation, Paul claimed his Roman citizenship. He didn't say, hey, I'm a child of God. He said, I'm a Roman. As soon as he said, I'm a Roman, it opened doors to him. They were not, they, they couldn't hurt him. They, they'd already beat him. In fact, they faced potential felony charges for beating a Roman. And so now they had to treat him really kindly, even though they knew they had to continue to prosecute him. Moses resisted Pharaoh. He appealed to him. He challenged him. With the plagues, uh, it was pretty, uh, that was a revolution. So much so that the killing of every firstborn son in the nation happened because of the declaration of Moses. And because of that, he was kicked out of the country and uh, later on was uh, uh, pursued as a, as a wanted person. The American Revolution, I've looked at that many times. Was that, was that godly? Was that the right thing for the American Revolution? And you can decide yourself. That's the cool thing about being in America. We can make our choices. Some of these choices we are making, we do not know the full outcome of until we stand before Jesus. But I know this. He calls us to honor the governments when we're in. And in the Declaration of Independence, and even later in the Constitution, it's reinforced that we need to be careful in our resistance. We need to have the freedom to speak, the freedom to resist within the confines of the amendments that are laid out in the Constitution. We have a voice. We can speak. It's never good to be violent. It's never good to cause death. This past week with the really attempted murder on uh, Speaker Pelosi's husband out in San Francisco and the desire of a, of a, a man who was actually an immigrant from Canada to uh, destroy... Uh, Nancy Pelosi and to harm her and possibly even kill her is nothing that any Christian should celebrate if you're on one side of the political spectrum. Never should we celebrate that. We shouldn't celebrate it just like we shouldn't celebrate Republicans that are threatened like uh, Justice Kavanaugh and uh, 
Uh, Steve Scalise, a uh, representative from Louisiana who was shot at a baseball game a couple years ago. We never celebrate those things because as believers, we do not see that as an ultimate solution to some opinion that we might have. So violence is not the solution. Do we have a voice? Yes, we have a voice. Speak your voice. Do you, do you picket in streets in America? It allows you to do that. And you need to have a good conscience before God to do what you're doing, to know you're doing it for life. You're doing it for purposes that are eternal and not just little basic things that really do not make a difference in the long run. You know, looking back at Augustine, Augustine, you know, I've talked about him a lot lately. He was a great shaper of the Western world as we know it. A lot of his ideas were used early on by our, our, our founding fathers of the country. Augustine had very clear thinking for the fifth century. I mean, to understand what he understood and to write what he wrote about. But he was there when Rome began to collapse, the official collapse in the beginning of the uh, fifth century. And he wrote about that because Christians were being accused of causing that collapse. So let me just read a couple of things, a couple of thoughts about Augustine, because it helps us in our Christian understanding of this conflict between how should I be human and how should I be a supernatural citizen of heaven that knows my eternal place is in heaven? How does that happen here? Do I just kind of chuck it all? It's all going to burn. We're going to go to heaven. Or do I have a responsibility, a spiritual responsibility, to pick up and toe the line here on earth, even for civic governments. So Augustine has held a sober and, and commonsensical, some would say pessimistic, conception of government and law. On his view, the coercive authority, coercive today is a negative word, but back then it was not. It was a, it was moving someone by force or by, by pushing or, or, or uh, making them do it. Uh, and that's what governments do. Uh, they pass lines and then they use coercion to, to keep you in place. And that's good. On this view, the coercive authority embodied in the state was, of course, indispensable to the well-being, not to say preservation, of the members of society. Nevertheless, it was hardly a noble phenomenon nor an appropriate object of devotion. Like, nobody wants to do this. Political rule was, on the contrary, and quite literally, a necessary evil. So politics, what my father was involved in, was a necessary evil. <clears throat> you need boundaries. You need government. You need law and order. Right now in America, law and order is being attacked big time. And because of it, massive crimes are happening. Huge surges like never before in the history of America. Augustine's view, in short, was that the government and law exist as a punishment and correction for sin. A punishment which mankind, through the actions of Adam and Eve, have brought upon itself. Political man is a fallen man. Augustine, however, does not condemn the state as such. Do you hear this? He's saying it's evil in its core, and we're fighting against that, but do not get rid of it because men are prone to depravity and sin. Political coercion is indispensable in social order. Government and law exist to intimidate and restrain those who would do evil so that good may live in at least some semblance of peace and order. It's never going to be total, but let's move it as far down the field as we can. For Augustine, then, government serves as an essentially negative function. I love what Ronald Reagan used to say when the government shows up at your door and says, I'm here to help you, uh, never believe them. To restrain and punish the wicked, political rules neither glorious nor enviable. 
So it's the city of God versus city of man. You're gonna feel that conflict. I got bad news for you. You're gonna feel that conflict throughout your spiritual life. Daniel felt it. The lion's den, he felt that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego felt it. Esther felt it. Were they righteous people? Yes. Nehemiah felt it. The tensions of the Old Testament, Moses felt it. Almost everyone in the Old Testament felt the tension you're feeling right now, but you're feeling it in kind of a greater way because you're free. You have a voice. You're a person that's been free in the spiritual world of Jesus Christ, and you're also living in a country that has pretty large amounts of liberty and freedom. And in that, you've got to walk that line of what is spiritual, what is something I need to really debate about, and what's something that it really doesn't matter so much. And be somebody who's temperate, and yes, also has an opinion, and will speak it when they need to speak it. So Augustine's conflicted world was the necessities of this life. That's one of them. Some measure of temporal peace that we need and government should supply. Security against violence. That's a, a purpose for government. Temporal order and justice. And then finally, freedom. Again, at whatever measures various countries around the world may give. The politic can soften, but it is not the cure. So the politic, the government, man's government can soften this thing, but not cure it. Only Jesus can do that. That's the challenge for every Christian is we need to learn how to insert greater virtue, how to insert greater values into the political debate. I'm very excited to see a lot of believers that are getting into politics. And God bless, I believe in, in Bethel, Cleveland, we're gonna raise up politicians. I'm working with one right now discipling someone within our church that's very young that believes they're going to be in the political circles. And I thought, let's start now. Let's work on this. What are the things that separate us from the world? What, is, what are the things that separate us from evil? What is true holiness? Without, without imposing or coercing holiness, how can we bring general values that are in agreement with heaven and agreement with living on earth? Racism. Racism. We will never be rid of racism on earth. Why? Because there, there are people that are not following Jesus here. And there are followers of Jesus that are engaged in the sin of racism. You can legislate behavior, but you cannot legislate the soul. I'm telling you all this not to give you hopelessness, but to give you hope. Jesus Christ is the only hope to bring racism to the lowest denominator it could possibly be to shrink it towards almost nothing. That would be having the entire planet following Jesus Christ. Violence, police through force can only limit it. The downgrade of violence can come through the church and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Porous borders. People long to be here. You gotta understand that. And my, my wife is an immigrant. I'll talk about her in a minute, but some have evil intent. We know that. Some of the even, even legal immigrants have evil intent and it will never have a perfect solution or rhythm, but there is got to be some kind of a limitation on who comes into the country, some kind of vetting system. I don't really care how it is as long as there is a vetting system and we know who we can look someone in the face, know who they are, know where they're coming from, vet them, and then welcome them gloriously into the United States of America, like my wife did, like I did when I went to Canada. <clears throat> so I, I thank the Lord for the transitions that are allowed. We want, we are a nation of immigrants. We always want to be a nation of immigrants, but to openly allow our borders 
for anyone who wants to come in, fly from anywhere in the country into Mexico or any Central American uh, country, pay a cartel some money and you can get into America. That will not benefit America's future, will not be good for our kids and our grandkids. And so we look for limitations. It's one of the things I just, I, I decide on how I, how I vote. I want someone who understands we need law and order in the streets locally. We need law and order in our country and around the borders of our nation. Even in the Vatican, which is probably one of the most spiritual little pinpoints in the world, it's surrounded by walls. And you get in with access and they have guards. <laughs> so how much more in America should we have a country that's, that's contained? where we know who's coming. I say, if you want to build a wall, build a wall, but build a huge gate in it. And let's, in fact, if we're bringing a million in now, let's bring two million in next year. We need immigrants. We need workers in this country. But let's make sure we're getting immigrants that are going to be kind to the culture, the history, and the future of this nation. Voting corruption, we can resist it, but never eliminate it. There will always be corruption in voting. So we continue to do things we need to do in order to limit any kind of stealing of elections of any sort. And by the way, both sides, Democrats and Republicans, Hillary, about four years ago, Hillary Clinton was accusing of election being stolen that Donald Trump stole it from her. And then, and then Donald Trump turns around and says his election was being stolen. So both sides do this. This is not unique in human history. Everyone feels it's corrupt. And so we need to have a voice to be able to check elections out and to make sure that's not unchristian to do that. And it's not undemocratic or unrepublican to do that. The economy, different, different philosophies work and they also don't work. Some of it is determined by the moment we're in in history and what's going on. And, and uh, I, I'm not an economics uh, expert. I do want government to be as small as possible. So I take that in consideration uh, when I'm voting for people. I don't want people to just spend trillions of dollars and then it, it destroys the future of our children and brings massive inflation like we're experiencing right now. Powerful armies. Some people say we need to reduce our armies. Get them. I, I disagree with that. I believe we need, in the gift that God's given America, in our land, in our people, and in our innovation, we need to be the strongest force in the world. We are the best benevolent dictator in the world. We are a, a country that hopefully will express kindness not use our military in wrong ways, and I'm sure we have in the past and probably will in the future. But without the strength, a lot of things would run amok around the world. So the Roman army knew that. In fact, one of the great collapses of, the, of Rome was their outer borders not being guarded up north where the Goths were. And eventually, in one icy uh, winter storm that the Rhine froze over, massive amounts of people came over, and it was the beginning of the end of Rome because their armies were not there to defend it. They had stretched their money too thin. Uh, and it took some years later, but eventually the place collapsed. America right now is on the road to collapse historically. And what a shame that would be. It may take 100 years to stop this train. It might take 10 years to stop this train. I don't know. Or it can be turned around. And clear-thinking people, not necessarily Christians. I like when Christians run for office, but... I don't know. I had a surgeon that I'm not sure was a Christian, but I'm sure glad he knew surgery. And what we need in America is leadership. We need the values being held up that we agree with and hopefully godly men and women that will run for that. So abortion. Abortion is another great hotspot and I needed to cover on it because of 
where we are and what we're doing, but abortion needs to be limited as much as possible. I'd love it if it didn't exist at all. It probably will not happen because there's always going to be people that want abortions. And if they don't do it in public, they'll do it in secret. But I do think as a nation, we fare well in heaven when we limit abortions as much as possible. I'm so glad we have Janet Porter in our church who's who's been limiting, uh, calling for the limitation of abortions for years. The heartbeat bill that has swept across this country and will continue to sweep across this country. When a revival hits, it'll sweep even more. So we pray. What do we do then? What do we do in the midst of all that? We need a reformation. A reformation can insert God's values and virtues and radically change how America thinks it as a, as a whole. A reformation will not happen in the world. They're talking about a reset, like a totally new government worldwide. Global rule. The church knows the proper rule. So the church comes in and brings a reformation of values and understanding, even affecting people that may never follow Jesus Christ, but they like the values because they see what the fruit of those values are. Christians have to stand up where they are and speak their voice, and not just their opinions, but speak Scripture, speak Jesus, what Jesus would endorse. Speak those things to a better future for the nation. When you do that, and when you pray for the Holy Spirit to come, revival, come upon this country. We need revival because revival can bring reformation. It can bring a change in laws. It can bring a change in our cultural mores and our understanding of how things should happen. If you're disturbed by LBGTQ and all that's come with that, pray for revival. Pray for revival. Don't hate LGBTQ people. Pray for revival and let's see God change hearts one after another. If you have issues with, with Black Lives Matter or anything like that, well, well, how about instead of criticizing them, we begin to pray that God would move upon America and that people of all color will truly get an internal sense. I don't know that the government's ever going to supply what's needed for the gap that's in the heart of African Americans right now. We can continue to move toward that. But the greatest thing that's going to heal the soul of African-Americans and all people of color, anyone that feels like a minority that's being severed or separated in some kind of way or, or minimized or, or marginalized in any way, I hate that. We all hate that. And we should as believers in Jesus Christ. What do you do? You pray. You pray. You vote. But your primary influence as a person in Christ is to pray that God would bring change into our nation and touch the hearts of every person, fulfilling the dream of Martin Luther King Jr. that we can all sit at a table together, eating together, people of all color, background, all ethnic groups, and enjoy the presence of God. He sits before you at table in the presence of people you do not understand, even your enemies. He'll bring it all together. So anyway, in this country, I'll just close with this. Voting, of course, is... So necessary. I vote personally. I, I, I know there's Christians on both sides of the equation. I, I vote on things that I feel are moral, things that like slavery. I would vote against that if we had that. And, and of course, the slavery is going on worldwide right now. We do what we can to stop that. Abortion, people's rights to work, discrimination. I love some environmental issues. I think every believer should be an environmentalist. We love what God has created in this world. We need to protect it. But if it's being used as a hammer to 
to uh, uh, use uh, money that's uselessly spent. I'm not for that. I love our national parks. I love everything that our country has done up to this point and would, would vote for those kinds of things. I vote for schools. <clears throat> Typically, I vote for levies if I feel that they're proper and we're not already super taxed in that moment. I love parks, so I vote for parks. I also vote for what leads to life rather than what leads to death. This is the overall template we use. Does this improve America? Does this bring life to America? If it doesn't, we're not going to vote for that. We're going to vote for the people that represent it. Now, if you get two people that neither one of them represent what you really want to vote for, then you've got to go to secondary issues. You need to still vote. And by voting for it, you're not saying, I appreciate everything about that person. There's a lot of people that we've had to vote for over the past 40 years of my life that you kind of have to hold your nose while you vote for them. But you realize this is the way it works on planet Earth. In heaven, it works perfectly. Here on Earth, we take the best we can get. We say, this person will keep my children and my grandchildren safe, prosperous, and not maligned into the future. That's the person that I'm gonna go with. So how do we do that? We look at heaven and earth together. We realize that some politics is opinion. Others uh, move to places of absolute. You gotta learn from the word of God how to vote. Freedom is a value of the spirit. So we vote for things that move toward freedom. I wish I had more time to talk about Wilberforce and Bonhoeffer. Wilberforce was a member of parliament. He is like the linchpin who rallied uh, parliament eventually. If you ever want to watch a great movie, there's one out there that talks about, I think it's Amazing Grace, talks about Wilberforce and what he did to resolve the slavery issue that really began the domino effect worldwide. He died something like four or five days after it was passed. It was like his mission was accomplished. Bonhoeffer, a believer, follower of Jesus Christ, Lutheran minister in Europe and Germany, secretly worked behind the scenes to execute Hitler. A lot of people debated that. Was that right? Was that wrong? You know, and, and he hung for it. He got caught and hung for it. So you realize that when you oppose governments and you get caught, there is a sacrifice that will happen as a result of that. Every believer needs to determine that when they're trying something in a deeply oppressive government, which by the way, right now we do not have. So there's no call for any violence in this kind of a scenario. So you go through these various things and you think through this in your mining. Voting shapes our futures. We want values-led, eternal values first. Life, liberty, security, things like that. And then secondary earthly values second. Which candidate, I, I was listening to someone the other night, my thought was, which candidate do I think loves America more than the other? I know sometimes it's hard to tell. Sometimes it's easy to tell. Vote for that person. You know, in non-Christian governments, which... We're in a government that's been heavily influenced by Christian values for almost 250 years, actually, 225 years. Uh, how do you function in that? Well, there's many examples throughout Scripture, and I won't go into them right now. Nehemiah, Esther, Daniel, Joseph, obviously. They, they put their head down and did the best, best they could, even in totalitarian governments. And God eventually caused them to rise and become influencers, even in those difficult situations. If you're in a place like that at work, you still have an opportunity. Be the best worker you can. Work hard, work strong. Do things that need to be done. Do it well. Innovate. Solve problems. You will be promoted and your voice will have a stronger uh, voice into that uh, organization that you're in. You know, my wife, when she came here, we wept when she became a U.S. citizen because it was so powerful, the whole mixture of of 
of what she said and what she confessed in coming in as an American citizen. It was a very emotional moment. Uh, she was born and raised in Canada, and she had she has dual citizenship in the United States and Canada. She understands this whole thing of heaven and earth. She still has a Canadian accent. It was much stronger when I first met her, but she's living in the United States. She understands the difference between Canada and the United States. She understands when they're there, there's a different political understanding than there is in the United States and America. There's a different system. Uh, they tend to be uh, more liberal in, in the political realm. America tends to be a slightly more conservative, center-right in the political realm. So we understand the differences there. It's taken her years to be able to shift and understand those two worlds. In the same way, I challenge you, between heaven and earth, let's pray for our nation right now. And I know if you're getting ready to vote right now, follow some of this instruction. I pray you hear from God. But vote. If you haven't voted, you're not registered to vote, register to vote now so you will be ready when the next election comes along. And let's represent Christ, Jesus, in this great nation, the United States of America. And I pray it'll, it'll grow long, live long, be protected, be strong for the sake of my children, my grandchildren, all those beyond. It's been the greatest uh, demonstrator and a delivery of the gospel of Jesus Christ and all of its faults worldwide. It has affected nations all over the world with the message of Jesus Christ. And we bless that right now. And we're gonna to pray together. Let's all stand together as we pray together on this Sunday morning. God bless. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com slash give.